couple of weeks ago, after I uh, spoke of Abraham's readiness to offer Isaac to the Lord, it was uh, suggested to me, particularly in the view that I've been doing some preaching on Zechariah, that I've been having a habit of picking difficult passages to preach on. And I guess this is repeating itself as I bring the passage we have this morning. A passage concerning children being born to Jacob, his wives and their servants. And if we were to look for good examples of marriage in the Bible, you know, a biblical model of happy couples, I don't think Jacob and Leah and Rachel and the bigamy that's going on would feature highly on that list. But yet, it's a a story of the birth of the children of Israel. And so it's not something we can avoid. um, For churches that follow the lectionary, they would never have this passage. It just doesn't feature in the three-year cycle of readings that are there. But yeah, it's so crucial to understanding what happens and who the tribes are and who God's people are and how they relate to one another. We perhaps more naturally look to the sort of story that follows this. To the time of Joseph the dreamer And all that happens there, how he ends up in Egypt, how he ends up in prison, how he ends up second only to the Pharaoh, and how these brothers come back before him. But we need more background to that. Because the story is more difficult. And the story that leads to Egypt stems from this. And how Jacob treats him as special. Because his mother is Rachel, not Leah. The passage is essentially a genealogy. But fortunately, rather than those usual lists of long names that come after each other, as generation passes on to generation, we have something a bit more readable and a bit more understanding can come from it. But, of course, the genealogy starts before this morning's reading. When... And it starts in the previous chapter when we hear that the Lord saw that Leah was not loved 
and he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. And the reading continues there. Surely my husband will love me now. How sad it must be to be in a marriage where there is not love. To be in that relationship with someone and have a longing to be with him and the love is not returned. How painful it is in this family. And it's because of the difficult relationship between Leah and Jacob. How he thought he was marrying Rachel, but found out the next morning it was the older sister that he'd been tricked. But God does love Leah. And he tries to do something that might change the situation. He seems to boost her fertility. He allows her to conceive. Or at least ensures that she does conceive. And there's many times that happens in the Bible, isn't there? We can think of Sarah, or Hannah, or Elizabeth. Though each of these are older women, much older. Leah is older than Rachel, but she's not really described as being aged. She's just an older sister. And we might expect when she has her son, her firstborn, that the relationship between her and Jacob will change. It might redress the balance of love. For this should be the son that will inherit the family blessing. But then we might remember how Jacob tricked the older brother out of a family blessing. Jacob has a life that sees many tricks going on. And Jacob is holding Leah's father's trickery against her. And he holds it against her children too. Even though he's not so different from his father-in-law. God's made it easier for Leah to conceive. It does say. But it does not say that he makes it harder for Rachel. It just says that Rachel doesn't conceive. At that point. Just that Rachel hasn't had a child yet. Not that she won't. It is not that God is withholding her becoming a mother. It is not a punishment 
It's simply a fact that she's not yet had children. Now, the pain of not conceiving can be hard on many families. The wider family can put pressure onto that couple. Not had any children yet. When am I going to have grandchildren? When am I going to have a niece or a nephew to play with? And it does not make it easy for that couple. Words said as a joke or as a hint might be said into a situation where there's a lot of pain. Rachel has pain. She says, I'll die if I don't have children. She is in agony with it. Not physical agony, but emotionally. She is distraught as to what her future is, what her place is in the family that has not turned out the way she'd hoped or that Jacob had hoped. I'll die in that I won't be, as we would understand it today, passing on our genes, having another generation to follow, someday to grow up in our image. And so she goes through this torment. A torment that goes on and on, as she sees her sister having child after child, son after son. As time passes and a child is not forthcoming, it causes many questions to be asked. And in particular, in older traditions and other religions, maybe a a wondering of what sin has been committed by the family, that the family is not blessed. And so in the passage, Rachel talks of her shame at not having a child. And Jacob almost goes along with this. He says, it's not my fault that God is withholding a child from you. But God is not withholding the child. And it is not sin that leads to our childlessness. And God is not vindictive. Often, people can be quick to point the finger And cast the blame. Cast the blame on people. And sometimes they point the finger to God. And say God has done this awful thing. But the Lord. Is gracious. And compassionate. Slow to anger. Rich in love. And pain 
is not what he intends. But the difficulties for the family at this point in this passage seem to multiply. Not trusting in God as to what the future is. Rachel hands over her servant for the night. Even if Rachel has wrongly come up with this plan, surely Jacob would say no. But he doesn't. How often in the Bible do we see the man just going along with the plan that's there? Maybe we do it at home sometimes. Just as Adam should have said no to Eve, taking the fruit from the tree, or then eating it after Eve had taken the bite. Jacob goes along with what's happening. And a baby is born to Bila. And this has echoes of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and the birth of Ishmael. And just like two generations earlier, when it seemed like a good idea to have the man sleep with the servant of the wife, it's not a good plan. Just as it was thought that, yeah, this is a way to have a son. It's not a way to have a son. And although sons are born to Bila, and Rachel sort of thinks of them initially as her own, she still longs for her own child. It hasn't really changed the longing within her. All it's done is create a more complex family. Abraham's child Ishmael was not part of the plan for God's people. It showed a lack of trust by Sarah and Abraham. But we know of that story. We know of the son of Hagar. Because the story has been passed down in the family. The story has been passed down that this happened and it was the wrong thing. But yet, two generations later, it gets repeated. Jacob and Rachel have made the same mistake. And then as if to show how far the family has fallen, Leah, who seems to at this stage have stopped conceiving follows suit she offers her servant Zilpah and again children are added to the family anything you can do I can do better is the way that Leah is approaching this 
But there's an element with Leah that she's still trying to attract Jacob to her. There's still a lack of love there as son after son is born. But if having her own sons didn't open the eyes of her husband to her, does she really think the servant having some might make a difference? Yet sometimes today, in struggling relationships, a couple might think to have a baby will be the answer. That that will help them bond and get closer together. That it will change things. Once they have a child, everything will be all right. But it rarely, if ever, works out that way. There must be the bond between the parents first. The story then turns to superstition and a belief in the fertility enhancing property of mandrakes. It's unclear whether Reuben, the eldest son, had been thinking of his own mum's fertility as he brought these plants back. Or whether it was just fruit for the table. It's unclear whether he's just brought the fruit, the orangey red fruit, or whether he's brought the whole plant. And the roots which are believed to have hallucinogenic properties. We don't know whether he was intending for there to be a pagan rite with this fruit or whether it was just food what is clear is that Rachel wanted it and she didn't just want it to eat she wanted it because she thought this would bring her children And so she buys it from her sister. She buys it, the price being her husband going to bed with his other wife, his, her sister. A night in bed with Jacob being a rather ironic price for somebody that is trying to buy a fertility aid. People are not commodities to be bought and sold. This family shows no respect for each other. And perhaps in this buying of the food, she's redoing the act of Jacob's brother buying a bowl of stew not helping things along at all
And having bought it, the plan backfires on Rachel. She has the fertility fruit. But it is Leah that conceives another son. It is Rachel that has not trusted in God and has gone against God. It is Leah who has been blessed yet again. And then there's another son. And then there's a daughter. What else could Rachel do? She has had a child by her slave, but that didn't make her happy for long. She has tried eating mandrakes, and that did not work. Maybe, finally, she starts to think a bit clearer. For now we hear... That God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. Now, when we hear that word remembered, it is not that God had forgotten Rachel. God doesn't forget any of us. He knows us. He knows each of us intimately. He knows how we think, how we react. He knows us down to the hairs on our head. And he cares about each one of us. Cares about the smallest sparrow that falls. He cares about you. And so it's not that he'd forgotten her. But it is that he thinks at this time in a way that brings her to the forefront. That it's time for her. When we share the Lord's Supper here, when we have communion, and do that in remembrance of the Lord. It's not that we've forgotten how he was betrayed and went to the cross for us and said, remember me in this way. But it is a remembering in a different way from what we normally do. And similar here, God is remembering in a way that is different from just knowing. God responds to her prayers. He hears them and he answers them. And so the son, Joseph, is born. The one that she had waited for and that Jacob had waited for too. He's the 11th in line for the birthright. You know, there's been talk over the weekend about new Princess Charlotte and where her place is in line for the throne. 
Joseph is 11th in line. But he's the one that Jacob will be thinking of. He's the one that gets the special favours. He's the one that later on we would think of getting the special cloak to wear. The privilege of being the special son. The honour that is normally due the firstborn. But his special position in the family will in time see him thrown in a pit and sold by his brothers. Family members are each different. They each need to be treated differently. But rather than single an individual one out to receive the special treatment, each member of the family needs to know that they are special. And we repeat this mistake when we fail to learn. Perhaps we are older and wiser and less likely to stray from the plan of marriage that has been set off that we are used to. But too often, we might have a family favourite, a child or a grandchild or maybe a great-grandchild that we favour above the others. And we might do that consciously or we might do it unconsciously. We might always tell our friends about one particular grandchild or child, about the story of their life, about their great achievements. But what about the others in our family? We might have one that we give gifts to that are really catered for that person. And then we give something else to the other member of the family. In such ways, resentment is built and families become broken and damage occurs. We repeat our mistakes when we fail to learn from them and adapt and change. The family of Jacob and Rachel and Leah had failed to learn the mistakes from before. And although it was three and a half thousand years ago, still the damage, still the damage of having children by multiple partners. People thinking sex can be bought and sold. Of there being sex outside marriage. 
of having favourites. All these things still continue. And our own families are not immune. We would do well to read God's word and to think of our own family's histories and to learn from the mistakes that have been made and think of the right way to journey forward, to be God's people, living according to his plan, not choosing to live our own way. Amen.